Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. Welcome to episode one of What Led Her Here. I can't wait for all of you to come on this journey with me. My first guest is my friend and now new mama, Ariel, who shares her heartfelt and not so easy journey to motherhood. After trying for nine months to conceive with her new hubby, she experienced her first miscarriage, which then led her to her diagnosis of low AMH, or anti-mullerian hormone, which was an indicator of low ovarian reserve. I'll let her tell you the rest. And uh, P.S. Don't mind the snores you might hear in the background. Her puppy was napping hard on the couch next to us as we chatted. My guest today is the strong and inspirational Ariel Ng Bourbonnet. Ariel and I met at a mutual friend's house. We were both speaking at a women's storytelling circle and connected over our shared experience with infertility. It's a subject that many people don't talk about. So Ariel and two friends and former colleagues sought to change that. They co-founded the 16% movement and later Ariel co-edited and authored Through, Not Around, a book of essays where people open up and share their infertility and pregnancy loss journeys. Ariel is here today to share her own experience, and if the big, beautiful belly I'm sitting across from is any indication, this story has taken a happy turn. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you so much for having me. So I saw that some people have joked that you becoming pregnant is not good for your brand. (laughs) Are you able to appreciate the humor in that? I can definitely appreciate the humor. Um, I used to joke that I'm an infertility expert, and um, so this has definitely changed things. Yes. So how does it feel now to be pregnant after coming to terms with it not happening? Well, it took me, um, it definitely took me a long time to um, appreciate it and and believe it was going to happen. Um, I'm feeling much better now that I've just had my anatomy scan and everything went well. But before that, it was like walking on eggshells and just hoping for the best. Yeah. Well, I'm so thrilled for you and I definitely wish you a healthy and uh, wonderful pregnancy. Thank you so much. (laughs) So... Take us back to how this journey of yours began. My husband and I decided to have a baby soon after we got married, and I had a miscarriage after nine months. Um, I assumed that it would be my one and only miscarriage, and life would go on, and I would have a successful pregnancy afterward. Unfortunately, uh, I found out I had low AMH at the age of 33, which essentially means I have a low egg count for my age. I had the eggs of a woman in her early to mid-40s as opposed to my 33. So after my diagnosis, I went through infertility treatments or fertility treatments for, um, I did IVF and I did rounds of artificial, artificial insemination and nothing worked. And after that, I decided to stop trying and I got pregnant again in 2017. But unfortunately, that pregnancy also ended in a miscarriage as well. Um, We gave up all hope and then just recently found out that I was pregnant with my third pregnancy. And so far, we're five months along and everything is going well with this one. So we're really thrilled. That's good. So once you had sort of given up, um, you decided to share your experience with others. So why did you feel it was important to share? Um, I thought it was really important to share my diagnosis about low AMH because I had never heard of it. And to me, it was just the biggest blow to everything I've ever 
thought of my life. So I wanted other women to not feel have that same experience that I did. Um, so I wrote an article about low AMH and what it means and um, how it's diagnosed. And I wanted to make sure that every other person should consider their fertility a little sooner than I did, or at least have the knowledge to think about it and to kind of take a little control with their fertility questions. Absolutely. So you referred to this article. So that was Infertile at 33 that mm-hmm. you wrote and it was picked up by SheDoesTheCity.com. Yes. So that's what really um, set your journey in a different direction. Definitely. I really want to thank Jen McNeely and she does the city for publishing my article and for believing in me because it definitely changed the course of my life and how I viewed um, what what my life's meaning is all about. Was it easy to share your story? Um, I actually found it quite easy, surprisingly. I'm a pretty open person in terms of feelings and emotions and, and what I'm going through. And for me, the it was so important more that other people knew about the diagnosis that it doesn't matter about my own personal feelings here. I want to make sure that other people aren't in this boat and um, don't have to go through the same experience that I did. So I was really open to telling my story. That's so important. And I totally agree. I am also very open emotionally. And um, I think that, you know, connecting with other women who are going through a difficult time makes them feel less isolated. And just knowing that they can share that experience with others is such an important part of acceptance and healing and, and grieving. Yeah, I completely agree. So speaking of grief, so how did you manage the grief when you came to the point where you had sort of accepted that this wasn't going to be your path, that, you know, motherhood wasn't going to be something that was going to happen for you? How did you manage the the grief or, or the feelings that came along with that? Uh, not very good at first. Um, <laughs> I'm, I think everyone has their own process. And it took me a long time, I think, to actually manage my grief in a beneficial way. Um, things that helped me for sure was uh, taking a writing class. That's one of the first things I did when I was diagnosed. And I documented my experience from diagnosis to um, finding out I, I was not going to, after my second miscarriage, I, just the whole experience of gamut of emotions. And that has been the best thing. I, I could recommend anything to anybody. It would be write, write your story, even if no one reads it, because it's so important for you to get those feelings out and down. Um, I think too, I also went to counseling after my second miscarriage. So uh, before I was dealing with all this on my own and I realized I can't deal, deal with this anymore. I'm not processing my grief in a positive way and I wanted some help because I was so angry and so upset to have to go through the same experience twice and I, the heartbreak was really difficult to deal with on my own. That's great that you were self-aware enough to um, know that you had to look outside of yourself and, and get assistance. So it was through this article that allowed you to connect with Caroline and Allison, the co-founders of The 16%. Yep, that's right. So we each shared our own experience with infertility and pregnancy loss um, through various mediums. And we discovered that we were going through this experience, but we weren't talking about it necessarily to each other, person to person or anything like that. And we thought that there needed to be a space where people can share their stories and Um, have that cathartic experience that we did when we shared our own and that's why we started the 16%. And why the 16%? Um, Because one in six couples, this is a government stat, we we prefer to say one in six of those trying to conceive, um, experience infertility in some capacity. So we we named it the 16% because that is an awful lot of people who are having trouble um, trying to conceive and we think that there's, there's stories are important. And how long have you been doing that? 
Um, we started it in August 2017 and have been sharing stories on a bi-weekly basis ever since. So the 16% website where essays of a number of people experiencing infertility and pregnancy loss um, were collected, that sort of led to the creation of the book that you recently published through Not Around. Yes, definitely. We, um, I feel like that we were at the right place at the right time, um, creating the right forum. We were approached by a publisher after launching the 16% and that changed the course of um, our lives as well. So we were very lucky to be able to publish 22 personal essays about infertility and pregnancy loss that really allows more in-depth storytelling as opposed to the interview questions on the website. That's wonderful. And it seems that the book has been very well received mm -hmm. and you've had some media appearances mm -hmm. and, and really been able to get the message out there, yeah. which I think is incredible. Yeah, we're very, very, we, we're so, we feel so thankful to be in this position and that we are able to help other people with their own experiences. And did you find that it was, you know, through the 16% website and with the book, did you find it was... Uh, easy to find people to share their stories or did you find there was some reluctance at first? Um, that was my great fear actually when we started the 16% I was worried we wouldn't have enough stories but we have always had stories to share since we've launched. Um, we, I'm, I'm noticing though that we have more stories told by women or those ident who identify as women. Um, we are hoping to get other perspectives because we think male infertility is generally half of the issue and female infertility is the other half in, um, generally speaking, so we need more male perspectives um, on infertility, and we're hoping to get, get, get more stories about that. You had mentioned to me earlier that the men who have contributed so far, it was telling the story about their partner. You were hoping in the future to hear more stories about men's infertility as you mentioned right yeah yeah so in the in our essay collection the two stories are males perspective of their wife's pregnancy loss and those are very important stories to tell but we want to make sure that we tell stories about men's own experience with infertility as well absolutely so um when people go through difficult experiences like this of course, friends and loved ones want to help, mm -hmm. and they want to say all the right things, but sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what are some things that people should be aware of either to say or to not say to someone who has experienced um, infertility or pregnancy loss? Yeah, so I mean, for me personally, the things that I'll never forget are um, if some friends got together and gave me a fruit basket with chocolate-covered fruit. Um, another friend dropped off muffins without asking. Um, another friend made a little care package for me. And it's not about getting things, but just having those little items really did make all the difference in the world. And I'll, I'll never forget them um, just because it really made me think that they were caring about me. They were upset for me. And um, even though they didn't know what to say necessarily, they were there for me in their own way. Um, things not to say, I just think you're still young. I heard that a lot, which really hurt my feelings because no one really understood the diagnosis of, at 33 and how terrible that was. Um, even though I'm pregnant now, uh, it's still, it was, you know, people said, oh, it might happen. And I had to shut them down. It was really difficult. I'm always hearing that when you're going through it. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, everything happens for a reason or um, just, I think, the best thing you can do is hold the space and listen and maybe just try to do things that will seem helpful. So even if it's folding someone's laundry or coming over and making that person tea, little things like that, I think can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I, I would imagine the simpler, the better in terms of what you say. 
Uh, and we had talked earlier about just saying something as simple as, I'm sorry, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, how can I support you? Yeah. I or like you great. say, just popping over with a thing of muffins or making a tea and, and just, you know, not trying to solve things mm-hmm. or not trying to, you know, make everything better because there is that grief process that you mentioned that yeah. we naturally as human beings have to go through. So mm-hmm. just being there, like you said, and holding space and just, yeah. you know, I think too, there's no, there's no proper way to grieve and everyone grieves differently. So what works for me may not work for someone, but I think there's no harm in telling someone what you need to. I know when I'm upset, I tend to retreat and want to be alone. So for me, I might need a couple days where I don't talk to anybody, but someone else really might want someone there. So I think not to be scared to ask the person too, how can I support you? And then if you don't get anything, maybe you could do something without asking. That's great. That's (laughs) really good advice. So why do you think there is such a stigma around infertility that makes many people not want to talk about it? Um, I think it has to do with, it's a biological function that people are expected to do generally. And I think a lot, there's a lot of pressure if you don't have this biological function working, um, that there's something wrong with you inherently. And I think uh, for me, that's, I just felt like less of a woman. I felt, you know, I'm trying my hardest. Why isn't this working? I'm used to putting effort in, getting effort out or seeing results. And for this, it was just a complete blow to everything I've ever thought about my life and you know, we're also told we can have it all. And I think maybe you can't have it all necessarily. And it's a really hard lesson to learn too. And you feel like you're the one doing the failing, even though you know, in reality, it's not. Yeah. So there's a lot of self-blame going on there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think I would imagine it's hard. Um, I mean, even my own experience, um, not having control where mm-hmm. you're used to Oh, it's the worst. Or you're used to have, <laughs> being able to have a fair bit of control, yeah. but in this case, it's 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 very different. Yeah, yeah. I find that to be the hardest part was relinquishing control and realizing this is not in my hands anymore, and yeah. I've done what I can do. What would you say the life lesson is that you have learned through all of this? Wow, I've learned ver- a lot of life lessons um, through infertility, but my main takeaway would be to be vulnerable and to let people know how you're feeling and that's a good thing and also um, learning to change and adapt I think a lot of people might get stuck with one mindset and for me deciding I was like I was done with children and being like okay I'm going to move on and this is our life now was the best thing I could have done for myself just changing adapting learning when to stop I think that's been the, the biggest lesson for me is just kind of accepting what the universe has in store for me and and um, not trying to fight it tooth and nail the entire way. Mm, thank you for that. So aside from the obvious uh, next steps that you have coming yeah, in, change, in, yeah. in your baby, <laughs> yeah. um, which is wonderful, um, what's next for you in terms of the 16% in, ter- in terms of through, not around? Yeah, so I definitely am going to be focusing on uh, the baby for the next uh, few months, but we are going to continue to share stories. Um, after that, I really hope we can do a writer's retreat at some point, and I'd like to arrange a panel discussion or a mini conference of some sort in Toronto as well, um, just to talk about infertility topics and and support and things like that. So I'm hoping to have more, hold more events in the future. I love that you're getting the word out there. I think the only good can come out of connecting with other people with similar experiences um, and sharing. And and I say similar experiences, but I know that you have said that every experience is unique, and that mm-hmm. is why it's so important for 
all of these women and men to share. Yeah, we believe that. We think that your story may be similar to someone else, but it's a unique story and it deserves to be told. And there's such a great feeling when you can share that story and other people will understand what you're going through. Yeah, that feeling, well, the learning opportunity mm-hmm. first and then also just that connection. Yeah, definitely. And being able to feel um, that you're not alone, I think, mm-hmm. is is an incredible um, sense of relief and yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank you. So any final thoughts today? Final thoughts. Um, so I guess for me, um, final thoughts would be to let people know they're not alone, even though it may seem like that at the time. I know I felt terribly alone and, uh, like I said, the less of a person and for me to to create this space for other people, um, we hope that we can remove that stigma and shame and the more people talk about it, the better. So um, if you want to share your story, please reach out to uh, the 16% at gmail.com and we would love to share your story. That's great. Thank you. So one thing I wanted to mention before we move on to our final section, which is the final five questions, <laughs> um, is that the author proceeds from your book, Through Not Around, um, are being donated to PALE, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Network. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So we decided um, this really is truly a labor of love, pun intended. We wanted to make sure that we weren't doing this for profit, that we know we're giving back in every single, every which way possible. Um, So the Pale Network supports those who are currently going through pregnancy loss. It's run out of Sunnybrook Hospital, but it's um, it supports hospitals all throughout Ontario, is my understanding. And we're also donating copies of the books to Fertility Matters Canada. So right now we have about 20 copies um, that we're saving and we plan to give to them soon as well. So if anyone who's listening wants to purchase a book and donate it, mm-hmm. how would they go about doing that? Um, so they can ask their lo- local bookstore um, for Through Not Around, or it's also available online through Indigo or Amazon as well. Amazing. Okay, so we're moving on to the final five. <laughs> These are questions that are asked of every guest okay. on this podcast. And I always love hearing the unique answers that come out of them. If you could have one superpower, mm-hmm. what would it be? Oh, wow. <laughs> I would fix the TTC. <laughs> um, well, now you're just getting crazy. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to. So I, that would be one of them. And my other one would be to instill kindness in everyone. I just think sometimes, especially living in Toronto, um, it can be a little aggressive. And mm. everyone is a little bit selfish. So if I could make everyone a little bit more kind, holding doors for people, smiling, not necessarily, I get you're maybe in a bad mood, but just really instilling kindness in everyone, I think the world would be a much better place. I agree. <laughs> when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be a ballet dancer for the longest time ever until I realized I didn't, didn't have any talent. Oh. And then uh, after that, I wanted to be a vet um, for a really long time as well. So oh. that's why I ended up being a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, yeah. the, our paths lead us in all different directions. That's, right. that's the fun part. Yeah. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? Okay, so I hate to admit this, but um, I've I've started eating meat again since I've been pregnant, and I'm not sure if you've ever had Jack Astor's chicken fingers. I sure have. They are my absolute favorite. They so, are good. <laughs> I would probably have chicken fingers and King Slice pizza, a little West Side uh, props there. <laughs> nice. So n- becoming a mother, you will eat lots and lots of chicken fingers okay. over the course <laughs> of the next two decades, so okay, I'm glad enough. you like them. <laughs> yeah. Um, who is a woman in history or present day you admire? Oh, I have lots of women I admire, but I would love, um, I love Joan Didion, especially, and Sylvia Plath. 
I really admire women writers, especially those who put it all out there with such vulnerability, and I'm very inspired by each one of them. And last but not least, what is your favorite quote? Uh, My favorite quote, and I read this actually when I was struggling myself, and it is by Maya Angelou. As soon as healing takes place, go out and heal somebody else. Well, that's what you're doing. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having the courage to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and for um, spreading kindness and making this world a better place. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.